You're listening to The Authenticity Show, where you get to eavesdrop on great conversations about health, creativity, and the quest for excellence. Your hosts are Carlos Casados and Satch Purcell. Before we get started, I'd like to remind you to subscribe to The Authenticity Show wherever you get your podcasts and connect with us on social media. Like us on Facebook, follow us on Instagram, check out our YouTube page. This will help us. Thank you. This is part three in our series on conflict. Satch talks about why it's okay to bend the rules sometimes. And Carlos offers an anatomy of an apology, which is really great information for anybody who needs to make a serious apology to someone. There are right ways and wrong ways to do this. Well, here we are again, Satch. We certainly are, and this is more conflict resolution stuff. It is. It's an endless topic, but I'm glad that we've chosen to dive into it and and actually spend more than an episode on it. I know. This is our first trilogy. It is. Yeah. It's nice to have a trilogy. Could be a quadrology. Yeah. We'll find out. We'll find out. We'll see if we solve all the conflict problems tonight. Quadrology? Quadrilogy? Quadrilogy? I think it's a quadrilogy. Quadrilogy. Tetralogy. Okay. Tetralogy. We've been, we sit corrected. Tetralogy. (laughs) Yeah. I want to talk about this idea of the rules always applying to everybody equally. And I think that is a huge source of conflict. And it's counterintuitive at first because a lot of the times we might think, well, if we all know what the rule is, then there shouldn't be any question as to who's violating the rules and who's right and who's wrong. But the problem is, and this goes back to Taoist principles, as soon as you make a rule, you're moving one step away from the Tao. And then you need to make another rule to interpret that rule because somebody might say, well, what do you mean by don't? Don't do X. Well, what do you mean by that? Oh, great. Now we got to make a rule to clarify the first rule. Now we're two steps removed from the Tao, from the way. You know, and then we, we, we start to realize that, oh gosh, now we need more clarity. Um, if somebody breaks this rule, then what's the punishment? Now we need to make a rule about what the punishment's going to be. And next thing you know, you're, you're a thousand steps away from the source, mm-hmm. you know, from the Tao. And so the rules do actually create more conflict. Um, so this comes up, or this comes down, I should say, to this idea of... Is it okay sometimes for not all of the rules to apply to everybody all the time under all circumstances? And I think the answer to that is we should have a rule that says that that's okay sometimes. (laughs) (laughs) Or maybe a principle. Yeah. The principle of flexibility within rules. Um, Anybody who's ever written policy for a company understands that you don't want to box yourself in with those policies because a lot of times when somebody gets in trouble uh, if a corporation gets in some kind of trouble or something it's because they violated their own rules that they wrote and it seems counterintuitive but you want to create flexibility within your rules flexibility for interpretation Um, and let me give you an example I have certain rules in my house for my pets And I cannot expect my dog and my cats to be held to those rules the same way because dogs and cats think differently. They're genetically different, right? My dog understands that if she eats food off the counter, she is doing a naughty thing. My cats have zero ability to understand that they're not supposed to eat food off the counter. And if I get mad at them, they're like, why is daddy angry? I don't understand why daddy's angry. My dog understands why daddy's angry. So I don't want them eating food off the counter, but I have to enforce that in different ways. Mm-hmm. If, if my cats are eating food off the counter, it's my fault because I should have known I can't leave food on the counters because the cats will eat it because they don't have memory. They have no frontal cortex to speak of, right? So they, they have no judgment. They just, they just eat whatever's in front of them, right? If I leave butter on the counter, my cat Neo will lick that butter down to a nub, right? <laughs> um, and the dog will be looking at me like, 
are you going to scream at the cat? Because the dog knows that the dog would be in big trouble, right? So just like different species need to be held accountable to different degrees, different versions of people, I think, need to be held accountable to different degrees as well. And we can see it very clearly if we were to take somebody with an intellectual impairment and apply the same laws and rules to that person as we would to a person who has no intellectual disability, right? Um, and we could understand that uh, we don't want the court to throw the book at, at a person with an intellectual disability for breaking a particular law, right? As we would to somebody who should know better. That's one of those unspoken rules, that you should know better. And this brings up the idea of something, well, something I remember from, from the world of basketball. So let's bring up basketball. Um, a lot of people know who Phil Jackson is. He was the coach of the Chicago Bulls, won, what, six championships or whatever with the Chicago Bulls, and then did something similar with the Lakers and I think won like five championships or, or whatever that was. And um, one thing I remember years ago was he had um, that great basketball player, great rebounder, Dennis Rodman. And Dennis Rodman was a, a colorful character and was controversial. And I remember Phil Jackson talking about how some players kind of need to be managed in a different way, about how, how the rules need to be tweaked a little bit for some players. And that can upset a lot of people because we think that all the rules should apply to all the people all the time. But Phil Jackson has won many, many, many championships because he had this flexibility, this ability to um, make allowances, still have law and order, but to do it with a spirit of um, customization. And I think I like that idea. Um, rules are sometimes necessary, but sometimes customizing the rules is necessary. And mm. I like that idea. Yeah. You know, it's okay, you know, to order something on the menu and say, no onions, please, hold the pickles. You know, we can customize the rules. Um, and I think that's something that can allow a lot of people to create some room within conflict resolution to uh, allow conflict to go ahead and find a resolution. So basically, Satch says that it's okay to hold the pickles. It's okay to hold the pickles. That's right. <laughs> it is. Um, without the ability to adapt your rules the rules can become a lifeless prison, you know, cold and really ineffective in the long run because people resist being controlled. And at some point it creates unnecessary conflict that it was meant to relieve us of. Hmm. Whereas the point of the rules is to make things run more smoothly. That's the whole point. And, and, it, and there is a, a point at which the, th the rules hit a threshold that causes more conflict than it solves. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And then you get people that um, find loopholes in the rules in order to do things they're not supposed to do and so on and so forth. And it just, just keeps getting bad. So I, I, I do like the idea of, of, of principles more than rules. Mm -hmm. Well, principles points to the whole spirit of the law rather than the letter of the law idea. Yeah. You know, what yeah. is the purpose of this law? We, we, we've spoken before about chunking up, you know, what's yeah. the purpose of said law? Um, is it to protect? And, and if so, what is it protecting? Yeah. What's the underlying principle that drives this uh, need to create a rule around it? When you can address that and you understand that, it's much easier to interpret the purpose, uh, the spirit of the law. And if you're an enforcer in a state where they emphasize spirit of the law, which is supposedly California, although I haven't seen a whole lot of it, <laughs> to be honest, yeah. um, it's supposed to be a spirit of the law state. <clears throat> um, you know, the idea is, okay, I'm pulling this person over, uh, they were over the line, you know, when they stopped, you know, the spirit is, is, I think, to keep people safe. Yeah. But if they're not actually checking in and asking themselves, is this person an unsafe driver or did they just simply make a mistake and they rolled a little over the line? You know, what's going on here? Is this person mindful or just being disrespectful? And if they're being disrespectful, is that dangerous? Yes, probably. Mm -hmm. um, 
because they're hypertrophying their own needs over the needs of others and safety yeah. of others. Yeah. So in a case like that, it would make sense um, to ticket them. And, and perhaps in the first sense, it might be making more sense to stop them and say, hey, I'm not ticketing you. Um, I just want to let you know that you know, you did this and I want you to be more mindful of that because there are people on the road, there's bicyclists, there's walkers, et cetera. And I need you to do this so that you can be more yeah. careful, Yeah. you know, and based on that response, you could maybe let someone go for the day. Mm -hmm. Right. And, and it's, it's that kind of thing that's supposed to be dominating the spirit of the law interpretation. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And so <clears throat> when an individual has an internal rule for themselves, right? What, what are questions the person could ask themselves or ask each other to help create some flexibility with those internal laws? Like when, when people are trying to resolve a conflict, do they need to talk about what their inner rules are? Like what, like what, what, what did you expect when, you know, what, what does somebody expect or what does somebody yeah, want? Yeah, I think, I think you, a, have to, you have to bring to light all the expectations that are pertinent to the discussion. Mm-hmm. Um, this is, this is kind of like in a negotiation when you know at the bare minimum of what they're willing to walk away with. So you want to know what their best hope is as well as their you know, bottom line, brass tacks. And then you want to shoot for somewhere in between. Mm -hmm. That's kind of an important thing that you need to know right off the, you know, right off the bat. And um, it's also true if you were doing, let's say, relationship counseling and you, you need to establish pretty early on, what is your goal here? What's important to you about coming to this relationship counseling session? Is it to voice your concerns, a.k.a. have a soapbox with which to express the things that are bothering you? Is it to discover what those things are? Or is it something that has to do with, I want my relationship to go better. I really want to be with this person. I'm still in love with them and I'm having a hard time. I really don't want this relationship to dissolve. I want to find a better way. That every one of those answers could bring you in a different direction. Oh yeah. yeah. And if both people can agree yeah. on those underlying principles, they won't be aiming for the same thing and they'll be like two ships passing in the night. Yeah. Making the therapist slightly more wealthy and themselves slightly more poor. Yeah, that's a good way of saying that. Yeah, you know, in in both time yeah. as well as finances. Yeah, you know, another thing similar to what what you're talking about is, and I've and I've learned a lot doing this myself. If somebody were to come to me um, with a complaint about something that's going on, you know, at work or you know, in their their life or something, or a complaint about another person, whatever it might be. It's really helpful when I ask that person, uh, so I want to know if you're just wanting to dump this and express yourself or if you're actually looking for me to, to do some intervention and give some suggestions. Because sometimes a person yeah. will say, oh gosh, you know, I guess I just feel like I just need somebody to know. Right. A sounding then, board. Then I understand. Now I can be a much better listener. And, you know, um, and they're going to feel better about it. If they're telling me, no, it's okay. I, I would like for you to, um, I, I need help. I need some intervention in this. Then I'm like, okay, now I need to listen a little differently. I need to strategize mm -hmm. a little differently. And if you don't, you get the meaning of that double entendre. Mm -hmm. You'll be sounding bored. Yeah. Sounding bored. Yeah. Right. Because it's not really getting to the to the real purpose mm -hmm. and asking yourself what the purpose of something is again, comes back to that discussion about, uh, levels of, ab of abstraction, you know, chunking up, chunking down, chunking laterally for information, continually asking what the purpose of something is, is really helpful. Um, a, a parallel kind of idea to what you just expressed a moment ago is the idea of reporting versus, uh, you know, troubleshooting, you know, mm. A, let's say a, a middle manager or assistant manager might report to the general manager or the owner or CEO something that's going on in a department, a failure yeah. that may have occurred of some kind. Mm -hmm. And if that's a repeat pattern, 
it would be important for the leader position to be asking themselves as well as the person reporting, why is this person reporting this to me? Mm. So before you go all you know, half-cocked kind of thing, angry about what it is you keep being told, how dare they do it again? You might want to ask yourself, why is this being reported to me? Mm -hmm. And if you don't know, um, and even if you do know, it's probably a good idea to pull that person who reported aside and ask them, what are they hoping for? Yeah, yeah. Like, what are they looking to do? What, what, what's the end result that they are, are hoping will will manifest from them reporting the same behavior again? Is it that they want that person fired? Uh, is it that they want to be viewed as teacher's pet? You know, that, that they're mm -hmm. reliable and trustworthy? Do they want to be accepted? Um, is that like the need they have is to be accepted? And right, right. Reporting to mommy or daddy or whatever, that kind mm -hmm. of thing. That what's, what's this fulfilling for them? Or is it that that person truly is troubleshooting and says, wow, this is happening again and again. I really care about the business. I don't have it out for that person at all. Mm -hmm. I just want to understand what, what can we do to make this department run more smoothly and so we don't keep running into the same problem over and over again. In that case, it's not really reporting, you know, and and person can get clearer, maybe even look at the way they are handling it. Like, hey, you know, as, as a as a middle manager or as assistant manager, what can you do to help facilitate the change rather than reporting it to me? I'm way up at the top. I don't necessarily need to know what my corporals and lieutenants are doing mm -hmm. unless it's a big concern. Mm -hmm. It might be better for the colonels to handle that. Yeah. You know, keep it in the department. Correct. Yeah. Um, it's not necessary to build a case against a person if the end result is that you want everyone to be more cohesive as a team. You're mm -hmm. looking at the harmonics, the, har the harmony of, of those team players, and you're trying to create that. Uh, conflict resolution mindset is constantly seeking to enrich the system. Mm -hmm. And so things that show up in the system need to be recognized uh, as such in a, in a kind of a neutral observation where you mm -hmm. say, hey, this showed up in the system um, what is screaming for attention in this moment? Not just the people, but think of the underlying idea that's being conveyed. So if it were stealing from the department or, you know, losing customers or rudeness or obstinance in the command structure somehow, mm -hmm. whatever it is that's showing up, is within the system of the organization and it's interacting with these individuals who have family systems and, and systems of friendships and, and a life that they've led and it's overlapping mm -hmm. and it's brought out or brought to light a problem. That problem, AKA the conflict, can be seen almost like an entity unto itself. So by treating the conflict as though it's an entity that wants to be seen, that may exist separately from the people involved, it's much easier to use your mind to ask the question, what are you wanting to be seen as? Like, what, what, what is it that, that you're alerting us to? Maybe it's not just the problem itself, but something that's driving the problem. Hmm. In the case of, uh, you know, obstinacy and insubordination, if you just look at the behavior by itself and say, we got a problem with insubordination, well, you're missing something, aren't you? Why are they insubordinate? Are they being driven with unfair rules, too many rules, mm -hmm. too rigid of rules, rules that don't fit? They're square pegs and round holes. You know, do we need to make an adaptation? What's screaming to be heard in a sense that, you know, from what I've learned from, from systemic training is that these things don't want to be hidden. Mm. The system doesn't want to hide. So the stuff that shows up is being shown to you for a reason. So bring it to the light of day. Mm -hmm. Bring it up and out. Honor it. Uh, uh, appreciate. You know, have an attitude of curiosity and appreciation about the problem itself. Mm -hmm. And say, hey, you know, hello. <laughs> I see you. Um, what are you showing me right now? What are you connected to? 
What is it that you need in this moment? You see, I'm kind of talking about it as if it's a living thing because it mm -hmm. treats the concept not as something that I need to fight against, but something that I can heal and transform. If I take that attitude, I'm accessing all the most resourceful parts of me to be creative about it. Yeah, I it's, like that. That's, yeah, that's a clever, clever idea. To yeah. go about it. And this is, this is coming in line with that idea we, we mentioned in a previous episode of the, you know, the problem is an answer of some kind. You know, yeah. in NLP, NLP, we say um, the question is the answer. It's mm -hmm. the same thing. Mm -hmm. yeah. Well, it's kind of like getting angry at, like it's, it would be like a doctor getting angry at symptoms. Yes. You know, this, this symptom is unacceptable. Like, well, the symptom is just information. The, the, the symptom is pointing to an underlying uh, factor that's leading to that symptom. Right. And, and it's, it's trying to reveal itself. You know, it's trying to reveal itself so that perhaps the person could get treated or to do something about it. You know, like headaches are not allowed. Right. Like, well, headaches happen for a lot of different reasons. I wonder why this headache is happening. You know, like insubordination is occurring. Insubordination could happen for all kinds of reasons. Why is this particular insubordination happening with this person in that department under those circumstances? Right. You know, it's really it, helpful. In it's that case, what you brought up, um, it's an invitation to make the body healthy. Yeah. Well, in this situation of the, of the system, the symptom showing up in the system of an organization, it's because the system of the organization wants to be healthy too. Mm, yeah. It doesn't hurt to attribute anthropomorphic qualities because we instinctively relate to people. So it doesn't yeah. hurt to view them in that way. Right. You, you know, it you may not I... seem, I don't know, um, scientific or whatever, but... But honestly, when you start to look at it that way and treat it that way, call it poetry, if you will. Yeah. You know, it's art. You know, it's, it's the art form of conflict resolution, if you will. Well, it's something you and I have talked about a lot, um, the idea of embodiment. Yes. Embodiment is when you take a concept and that concept would normally be intangible. You put it into some kind of tangible form that you can work with. Yeah. You know, and it really helps to do that. It does. You know, I like that. Um, you know, Thich Nhat Hanh, yeah. the, the famous Buddhist monk, the yep. Vietnamese Buddhist monk would talk about depression like like it's a like it's a friend it's a person oh depression you know here come, come sit with me for a while i'll keep you company you know and it's that that same idea i really like that it, it helps you to it gives you a model for how to approach a problem or an issue yes it gives you a model for how to do it you know and it, it can allow you to be kind in how you do it something I'd, I want to ask you about because we've talked about it a little bit and I know this is something that, that um, we want to get into. Could you share your ideas about apologies? Yes. Thank you for remembering. Yeah. Let's, let's get into that. That's, yeah. that's a good topic. It's a topic that um, I really have been looking forward to talking about here. But can we just broaden the question for a second? What is the purpose of an apology? I think one purpose is... Uh, it's a peace offering. Okay. You know, it's, it's the beginning of, it's the beginning of moving forward sometimes an okay. apology. Um, I think an apology, uh, can be, uh, it can signal that the other person has recognized something that they didn't previously recognize. Okay. I'm wondering if maybe at some level, the underlying purpose is actually to set things right. Oh yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. You're, yeah. you're, there's an attempt to rebalance what has been imbalanced. This thing's gone way out of whack here. We got to bring it back to, to center point. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, uh, this thing is on frayed threads. We need to tie this back and make sure this doesn't completely sever our ties. Yeah. Apologies to me feel like turning points. Yeah. They can be. Yeah. They feel like it. Often. They, and they can they can turn the tides of a very negative thing mm -hmm. and create an opportunity to heal. Yeah. They can invite forgiveness and equality back into mm -hmm. the exchange. Yeah. And they can also, if done improperly, 
destroy any chance you may have had at repairing what happened between you. Totally. Yeah. That's, and that that's is true. really the reason why I want to talk about it. Okay. Is because less conflict in the world means a happier world. The very first thing that you need to understand when you're apologizing is that you actually care about that person and the damage that you did, whether inadvertent or due to neglect or whatever it might have been, it caused harm for that other person. Maybe it triggered something that you didn't intend. But that very first key is empathy. The fact that you care about how their experience is or was is what drives the spirit of the apology. You're not checking a box. So by God, if you, if at the end of the day you say, I said I'm sorry, if that's what you're saying, you can cancel any apology you think you might have made because there was none. Right. It just takes you a merely, moment yeah, to just check in with yourself you and then your, mean it. You gave lip service only and it doesn't count. Not to anybody who, whose feelings were really affected by it. They don't give a shit whether you said the words. They care about whether it seemed sincere or not. So how do you convey sincerity? Well, it's pretty natural if you actually feel empathy. So empathy first. Let's say you misstepped and the first thing is, wow, I really care about that person's experience. I feel empathy. I feel that I'm sad that they're sad. I hurt them. So that can drive the introspection to say, what do I need to do about this? I need to right the wrong. I need to put things back in a balance, earn back their trust, whatever it is. So when you go and talk to the person and you um, want to apologize, you want to make sure that they're in the space to hear it. So I would recommend that you first thing you do is you uh, look for any clues that that person is willing to talk. Like if their physiology is more relaxed, the musculature, their posture is more relaxed. Mm -hmm. Maybe they're done crying and they're in a calmer space. Maybe they've made eye contact with you briefly okay. and then looked away. Okay. That could be them checking to see if you are going to apologize. Okay. No, that makes sense. And if they really didn't want to talk with you, they wouldn't look at you at all. But you can still ask. And this is where respect comes in. You can say, um, hey, can we have a little talk? Can I say something? Would you be willing to talk with me for a little bit? And you say it in a gentle way. If they shrug their shoulders, it's probably, it means you should probably keep going. Okay. <laughs> if they say no, then allow them to have that space. Say, okay, I understand. I'll ask again. For now, I'll leave you to your feelings, if that's what you want me to do. It's respecting that that person might need a breather. Give them space but not so much space. Oh, well, you didn't tell me you were ready to talk. Don't give me, don't, don't use excuses like that. If you're sorry, take the responsibility to look at that person, find out, are they in any space to even hear you? Ask for permission. And then you need to begin by owning what you did. Start off with a recognition of their feelings. Say, first of all, I recognize that what I said to you earlier really made you, uh, just hurt you. It, 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 I could see it devastated you. And I feel awful that what I said caused you those feelings. I can tell that, um, probably a large portion of why you feel crappy right now. And I just wanted to start it off with no denials, just to let you know, I see and know what happened caused you pain. And for that, I do feel regret. I would like to apologize to you right now for that behavior of what I said. I could have easily, if I had stepped back, could have easily found another way of saying that. It would have been 
thoughtful of me to recognize that you had already told me that you were having a bad day and I layered more stuff on you. And that really wasn't fair of me. So you think about it from their perspective for a moment and then reverse your words as if you have insider's knowledge of what they feel. It's okay to begin speaking about what you, what you strongly suspect they are feeling. At the same time, you want to leave them room to express their feelings. So you'll want to say something like, look, um, I'm doing the best I can to imagine what it was like. But is there anything you would like to tell me about how you feel that I've missed? I don't want you to feel like I'm just trying to rush through this apology and, okay, I did it. No, I care about you. And I want you to know that I'm, I'm spending this time right now to really own it because I really don't want to be that person anymore. So now you're displaying an effort to be a new type of a person, to, to adopt a new behavior, have a, in a sense, shift your identity into somebody who, who can live that way. This is earning their confidence back because it's not just apologizing and then, you know, they're going to hold their breath until the next time you do it because you haven't made any real changes. Instead, you're addressing that right there and then. How, is, how has this experience transformed the way you see it? So you might acknowledge in that moment, I really see how I can sometimes have a very sharp tongue. I've seen this pattern in my life. I'm sorry that I did this to you because you mean an awful lot to me. But this was a huge wake-up call for me. I would really like to be the kind of person who can, who can be with you or connect with you, you know, work out my conflicts with you in a way that's gentle, that respects you, that allows you a chance to have your own feelings about it. And I want you to know that here's what I'm doing about, you know, the thing that you're, that you're apologizing about. So for example, uh, if you're harsh and you've been blunt, you might say something like, okay, um, I've begun speaking to somebody about my harshness and I've been looking into uh, my triggers and recognizing that my anger had nothing to do with you. That was rage, old rage that came out and I dumped on you. You didn't deserve it. So I'm doing some introspection right now. I'm maybe working with a counselor or I'm working with friends or I'm journaling or I'm doing some kind of a program. I actually want to get to the bottom of this because it's freaking abusive. I'm not going to do that anymore. Um, I don't want to be that person. I want to be the kind of person who just brings value to you, uh, brings love to you, uh, makes you feel safe around me. And then you further open it up again. Am I missing anything? Is there anything else that was important to you that I didn't cover? I want you to know that I'm here and I'm listening with an open heart and open mind. Please share with me how you're feeling. And you invite that person to open up and you draw it out of them. Let them feel safe. And then you can kind of wrap it up with um, maybe it could be a physical affection. It could be, hey, um, may I give you a hug? Would that be okay? Or may I hold your hand? Or uh, you say, I really appreciate that you allowed me to apologize to you. You didn't have to. I'm glad that you shared with me how you felt and how it made you feel. If there's anything about this that doesn't feel complete to you, I want you to feel safe to bring that up now. I want you to know that you're important to me, that you hold this position in my life or whatever it is. And maybe there's an opportunity in this that this came up this way, that you were hurt, and that I have had to, you know, be humble and, and actually recognize that I screwed up. Maybe there's an opportunity for us to love each other more deeply. May I ask for your forgiveness so that I can embrace being this kind of person in your eyes and maybe work my way to trust again and for your, for your own sake 
may I ask for this forgiveness so that you don't feel cut off from my love because of resentments. Tell me how I can help you. Tell me if there's something I can do that you think would be useful. I'm all ears. Is that making sense now? Oh my gosh, yeah. I, I, I feel like I want to tell you that, to Carlos, I totally forgive you, but you didn't even do anything because you're just telling me how this works, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's... Yep. Um, yeah, this is great. Um, the anatomy of an apology. It, it makes a lot... I notice, just real quick, I don't know if you're quite finished yet with it, but... Almost. Some of the things that I, I noticed you doing is, um, uh, you know, you slowed down, you took a moment mm -hmm. to connect with that empathy. And you also asked permission... Mm -hmm. You almost needed to get a yes in order to proceed, you know? Yeah, and then it's about I, respecting them. Yeah, and then I also noticed that, you know, later in the apology, um, you did some things to really, you know, you're con consistently honoring them, but you're also kind of rewarding them for going along with it too, in a way. You mm -hmm. know what I mean? It's, 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 it makes you feel better. Yes. That's what you're trying to do is, is, is um, repair. So that means, you know, you want positive, loving chemicals floating through their body to help counteract all those, you know, poisonous ones that have been floating in the body, and you, you want to help them that way. Uh, word choices matter, but take your time. It doesn't have to be perfect, but just do your best. I feel that um, saying, you know, I'm offering apology to you. May I apologize to you? I apologize to you. Mm. Is far more powerful than I'm sorry you can say I'm sorry if you want, mm -hmm. but just remember that that phrase, I'm sorry, is saying you're, you're identifying with being a sorry person. It's not really as effective as offering an apology. It's like apology is more of a gift. I'm sorry is more about me yeah, and I, how I feel. I, I agree. I'm sorry is, is, means I'm feeling sorry. Right. As opposed to... I need to say something in acknowledgement of what I did. Yeah. So yeah. again, I'm not saying not to say it, but it's not enough by itself. Apology is a little more direct. And also, uh, when you say, uh, I want to give you a very sincere apology for what? For X, Y, Z behavior. Because I can see that this hurts you. Because it represents a breakdown in my compassion, which I never want that between us because uh, we're a team. We're not meant to be at each other like two, you know, angry dogs or something. You know, we're, we're meant to be on the same team. I am your partner. I am your friend. I am your coworker, whatever it is. And it isn't supposed to go like that. And I recognize that it isn't supposed to go like that. And so I take responsibility for my choices and for the narrative inside of my head, which built a story around the triggers and caused me to completely forget how much I love you, forget how to be a kind human being, forget how to be positive, whatever that might be. Mm -hmm. If you own that, it makes it so much harder to do it again. It's a lot of effort you put into it. Mm -hmm. So never rush an apology. That's, an, that's absolutely a rule, mm. is don't rush it. Take your yeah. time. There's no set time. Mm -hmm. So maybe we should call it a principle. A principle, yeah. 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 Um, it's more about not being in a rush. Mm-hmm than taking any particular length of time. Don't be yeah. in a rush. Don't try to rush through it. Make sure you check with the other person to make sure they feel complete. Mm -hmm. Ask for permission. Be thorough about why it's a problem mm -hmm. for you and for them. It's a problem for me because I prefer uh, to be the kind of person who leads with generosity, forgiveness, compassion, gentleness, uh, supportiveness, it's a problem for you because you didn't sign up to have a partner who was going to be rejecting you like that and treating you like, you know, like you can be spoken down to, uh, et cetera. And after all, we're a team, so it's better for the world when we're 
operating in a level of deep respect and compassion for one another because we can go into the world and do great things as a team. And for our kids or for the employees or whatever, you know, you can mm -hmm. extend that out and it makes it a much more of a holistic experience when you apologize. Mm. And I address all this because, gosh, there have been just so many very pathetic apologies yeah. that I've been exposed to in my life. Well, you it's know, pet peeve. When, when, when for a lot of people, when you apologize, it's an incredibly vulnerable moment. Yeah, they think they're groveling sometimes, and they're not. Yeah, it, it's, it, it can be hard to do. It can be hard to know how to start. You don't need to grovel. Yeah. You just need to be humble. Yeah. And... You know, there's sometimes there's there's embarrassment and shame and fear that the person won't accept your apology. You know, there's all kinds of things, and so it really helps to have uh, some guidance. You know, yes. some some structure for how to make sure you get those essential elements in there. Let's touch on that. Yeah, um, because it, you brought up a really good point. What can get in the way of the apology is often the shame. Mm -hmm. But why is that a problem? Unless you have an ego around it. Mm -hmm. not yeah. just possessing an ego, but you have an ego around that issue. Like, a, yeah. like your ego is rigid and inflexible, cannot bear to view itself as a problem. So the shame gets buried. Therefore you'll never create an opportunity to be truly forgiven for what you've done mm -hmm. because you're burying it. Mm -hmm. And in a sense you will most likely build up your own specialized, um, adaptive um, resentments that are really reverse justifications mm. for what you did. Mm -hmm. okay. You yeah, did something, yeah. you can't hold the cognitive uh, you know, dissonance in there because it's, it's hypocritical. And now you're creating kind of backwards, um, you're kind of reinventing what happened. You start to sort of shape the experience to uh, make you look better in your own eyes. And when you do that, it's very easy not to apologize because you find excuses for why it's, you don't need to, or maybe they deserved it or whatever. It isn't about whether they deserve it. It's about you and your integrity and what you're doing to manage yourself. If they did something that's on them and that's for them to decide whether they want to apologize. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But when you're doing an apology, it's not about, I'm doing an apology, so I'll get an apology for you, from you, sorry. Mm -hmm. um, it's not a transaction in that sense. It's a transaction in the sense that you imbalanced things with your behavior. Now you're trying to balance it back again. Yeah. So there's a plus minus in yeah. that sense. But it isn't, I'm apologizing as an exchange so that you'll apologize to me. Right. It's not a quid pro quo. It isn't quid thing. pro quo. And yeah. if you think that way, you're already off to the wrong start. So I suggest back up again. Don't even begin the apology. Don't say it to them. Don't write it to them. If that's what you feel, mm -hmm. the feeling inside as you generate the apology is of primary importance. Yeah. It's the preframe. It's the settings. It's the course coordinates that will help you to actually choose the right words to say. So my yeah. advice is if you feel any of that uh, ego-mindedness around it, stop, pause, take a look, notice what's coming up for you, recognize that you've got your ego fear coming up, and maybe if you want to work on that with the person, you can mention that. You can be vulnerable and say, wow, I'm recognizing that I've got a lot of fear coming up and it's so ridiculous. It's kind of selfish, actually. Here I am making an effort to apologize to you and I'm sensing my own ego wanting to protect itself. I'm so freaking scared that you're not going to accept my apology. Mm. I am apologizing you also for me because I want to get the chance to be a better person to be stronger. Yeah. So I'm laying this at your feet that I feel shame. I feel fear that you're not going to accept me or accept my apology. I feel fear that I'm somehow lower than you because I'm apologizing. And I notice as I'm saying that out loud, how fucking egotistical that sounds. Mm. But because I don't want that to hold power over me, 
I'm admitting it to you. Right. To drain it of its power. Because if I bury that feeling and don't tell you that I actually had that come up, Mm. I won't have the opportunity to readjust myself, to recognize that I've got some growing up to do, or to recognize that this situation that came up between us isn't about the situation that came up between us. It's actually about stuff from my past, and that has triggered the memory. Mm-hmm. I'm reliving the past. I'm, it's a trauma from my past that is obviously coming up, and yeah, I'm so sorry yeah. that, I, that I'm you know, smearing it all over you. Where right, I should right. be it's, handling it myself. So <laughs> please forgive me for that too. I was going to say that that's a, it's a great way to um, uh, own it in the present moment. Yeah. You know, just whatever, whatever comes up, you just practice accepting it, admit it. And yeah, and that's great. And then the person really does feel like you're not holding back. You know, yes. you're not hiding something, you know, something like that. It's, it's great. Authenticity. Yeah, that's fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it'll feel authentic because you are actually, being present to it. Yeah. You know, um, that's fantastic stuff. Gosh. Um, that's something worth, um, rewinding and listening to again, like, like get the Mm -hmm. bullet points down, you Mm -hmm. know, for like, like how to do that. Right. And, and, um, uh, something that I was thinking of while, while you were sharing that is I think there's also an appropriate time to, and the discussion, I mean, whether it's the, the apology part or just the overall discussion mm-hmm. of resolving the conflict, I do believe that there is an optimal time that will present itself during the conversation that becomes the right time to go ahead and draw it to a close. Yes. And I think one thing that I've noticed is anytime you feel a shift towards positivity, where, where the other person or perhaps both of you start to feel some optimism, some, you know, um, some hope that, Hey, this is, I'm feeling better about this now. Right. Um, that's a really good time to, to ride that wave, you know, of energy and, and go with it and, um, you know, draw it to a close somehow. Agreed. Um, and there's something that you can even invite that conversation to extend another day. Right. Hey, you know right, what? Do right. you feel complete for now? I'm, I'm totally open to talking about this more tomorrow, mm-hmm. but we've got the rest of the night or, or, you know, if we're feeling good now, um, maybe it would be a good time for us to give a kiss and go, go to bed. Right, you know? right, right. Exactly. Exactly. Maybe a, after yeah. a night's rest, we can talk about it tomorrow, even further if you want to. Yeah. Yeah. See, that's perfect. That's exactly what I'm talking about. Like, you know, you, you notice there's an opportunity and you set something up for the future. And that's, that's something that uh, I've always found to be very helpful um, when you feel that the conflict is, you know, resolved or mostly resolved, or you've you've gotten to the point where you think you're going to get, is to set up an expectation for how we're going to think, feel, or behave the next time we see each other. Yeah, you know. <clears throat> so, you know, something like, um, gosh, you know, you you've you've been really great through all this, and. Um, uh, you know, I'm glad we're able to have this conversation and uh, it's going to be great to see you in the hall and we're going to see each other and kind of smile and know mm-hmm. that we've been through something. You know what I mean? And we got it. You know, we got this. We got it covered. I love that. You know, and then and then it kind of gives you both, um, I guess to use one of your your terms, you know, to try to you know, sort of anchor something in the future so that when you see mm-hmm. each other, you both kind of smirk, you smile, you know what I mean? You give each other a pound, you know what I mean? Or Or... Um, um, great. Hey, you know what? Next time I see you, um, ah, oh, it's going to feel good to be able to just relax and know that we did this. We handled this mm-hmm. and, you know, um, it's okay to give you a big hug next time. You know what I mean? And then, yeah. and then next time you, you know how it's going to be, you know, yeah, set you your expectations for the future, yeah. frame and reframe the conflict as potentially something that brought you closer together. That's mm-hmm. what I was saying in the previous mm-hmm. two about hey, you know, maybe it's okay to recognize that this was the perfect thing to come up for us right now so we could both heal, so we can be more in love and actually really, truly um, get more connected than we were. Yeah. You know, like, are you, um, how does that sound to you? Like, is, is that, do you experience that possibility as well, that, that when we work out conflicts, we're kind of getting notches on our belt that maybe will prevent us from having to argue more in the future? Mm-hmm. That we, we're kind of, getting it out now and maybe developing trust knowing that even when it gets really ugly, it'll never really get really ugly. 
mm-hmm. it'll never really go to the extremes because mm-hmm. we were both really highly triggered and look how we handled this. Yeah. You know, I apologized to you in, in a way that was accepted. You forgave me. We were able to embrace each other without resentments and be able to become more aware of, um, you know, errors and um, alignment. And maybe this will bring us to a good place. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's perfect. We're maturing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's perfect. You're using language that is is suggesting growth. Yeah, you know, and uh, that's that's beautiful. Um, yes, um, this description that I gave about it has been battle tested. Yeah. Okay. You've, so you've, you've you've taken this to the battlefield. Yeah. And, this and is not theoretical. Mm. I've been working on this for years. Okay. <laughs> You've been listening to The Authenticity Show with your hosts, Carlos Casados and Satch Purcell. My name is Oliver Altin. I produce the show. I also wrote our theme song, which you're listening to right now. Don't forget to subscribe to The Authenticity Show wherever you get your podcasts, and please connect with us on social media. And you can find our website at authenticityshow.com. Thanks for listening, and have an authentic day. Authenticity.